We stopped serving religion for one Sunday to see what would happen. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We, we no longer have religion. You, you don't have religion anymore? No. Seriously, I want you to go back there and get me my religion. I'm not going to bring my family here anymore. I mean, this is ridiculous. And land before time. I don't think you understand. I'm in a hurry. I've got to get my religion. Go get it. Honey, are you new? No, we just, we, we discontinued. Charles? Well, I just don't believe it. I won't be back. I won't bring my family back. We take up a whole row of seats. What happened was, people freaked. Get me my religion! Hey man, what's up? Hey, here's some uh, forms our landlord asked us to sign, just utility things. Uh, oh, okay. All so right. just put your signature on there and we'll be good oh, to go. Sure thing, yeah, alright. Oh, yeah. You don't have to read it, it's just legal jargon, blah, blah, blah. Wait. I hereby confirm my faith in Jesus Christ, my Savior and one true God, and confess His Lordship over my life forever? What? Is... Why is there a statement of faith in here? <laughs> I have no idea. That is not a utility form. Did you? Uh, I didn't put that in there. <laughs> I don't know. Did you try to trick me into becoming a Christian? A soul is forever. That is a very long time. Hey, there he is. How do you like your steak? Oh, steak sounds great. Well, well done is fine. Well done it is. Boy, this grill sure is hot. Yeah. yeah. You know what it reminds me of? Hmm. Hell. And you know what happens when you add a little sin to your life? But in hell, they aren't cooking steaks. No, hell burns on a different fuel. It's the souls of the unrepentant. Well done? This is really good. Yea, it hath been tried by fire, as the goldsmith refines a precious metal or gold. Psalms. He keeps trying to save me. Yeah, that, that's how I put it. I appreciate the effort and all, but I really don't know what he wants from me. God, I pray that you will open Jared's blinded eyes like you've opened mine. Stir his calloused heart, crush him under your awesome weight, that he can do not but crawl to you on broken knees. Amen. That could have been the Lord returning. Would you have been ready? shall not pass through my lips nor food, but the Lord shall be my bread. I will not move from this table 
until you have become a Christian, Jared. All right, well, I'm going out. Don't run to the world, Jared. It can only destroy you, but run to God. Yep, see you later. Jared, you can't run forever. All right, well, how many people have seen the new Indiana Jones movie? It's awesome. If you haven't seen it, you have to go see it. You have to. Who has not seen all of the Star Wars, like all 87 of them? Who, who hasn't seen them? Some, oh, my goodness. You, you have to see them. Those of us that, that have who's seen all of them? Who, who, okay. Those of us who have seen all of them, shouldn't people see those? Aren't they? Yeah, they should see those. They're missing out on life, and, and you've got to see all the Indiana Jones. And, you know, it's real easy to talk about something that you've really had a, a real experience with. You know, I think the Apple computer company, they are genius because their best marketers are Mac users. I mean, I, I'm a Mac user, and if we start talking about computers, it's not long before I'm saying, that's a piece of junk you got there. You got to get one of these. They're cooler, and, and their commercials are cooler, and they're silver. And all of a sudden, you become a salesman for a company that you gave too much money for for your computer. But don't we have this way of just talking about things that means something to us. About 16 years ago, I got married. And we're in Mexico, on our Cancun, Mexico, on our honeymoon. And, and I told people who didn't even speak English that I just got married. You know, I'm in a restroom. I, Man, I just got engaged, got married here on my honeymoon. And he's like, no English. You know, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> it's easy to talk about things that really mean a lot to you. Just like when you go to a movie and have a great experience, they're banking on that you're going to tell other people about it. When you go, when you, when you go buy a, a new computer, a, a Mac, and you, you, know, you, you think it's all cool, and, and you tell other people about it because you like it. And then you have this awesome experience like getting married or having a child, and, and you tell people about it because you want to share that with them. If you start reading in the book of Matthew, where it first begins in the New Testament, talking about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and you go all the way through the New Testament, you'll find a theme. And the theme is that it's just assumed that people who know Jesus Christ will live their lives around people who don't. It's not assumed that people are going to go off and live on some, some deserted island, commune, and all that stuff. It's assumed that, that those of us who know Christ will be around and our lives will be infused with them. It's just assumed. It's also assumed that we will invite other people in on the journey that we found because it's been so meaningful to us. Now, doing it the way you just saw on the screen never works. I mean, going with the whole turn or burn attitude usually doesn't work. It sure didn't work for me. But yet people sell it. You turn on the TV and they're saying it and spraying it and wheeling it and dealing it and trying to get you to buy little vials of water and a, and a cloth and something to just, just mail in. And if you give this much money, you're going to get like a gold level blessing. And then, you know, then the, the blessings go down from there. Religion doesn't invite people in on a real relationship with God. It misses the point. It might invite people in on something, but it sure doesn't invite them in on something that's going to change their life. There was a time in my life I lived very far 
away from God. Didn't want anything to do with God, with church, with any of that. But then, all of a sudden, what I thought was irrelevant became relevant. What I thought held nothing for me, no excitement, no meaning, no purpose in my life, all of a sudden, it meant something. It meant something because somebody got serious enough about the experience they had with Christ to invite me in on the same relationship that they had enjoyed. They had taken seriously the assumption in Scripture that people who know Christ are just going to invite other people in. See, religion covers the true message of Jesus Christ. The true message is that Jesus accepts people right where they are. In fact, if you read how Jesus communicated with religious people, he talked a lot about hell with religious people. But when it came to people who didn't have a relationship with him, that's not the way he approached them. He approached them in a whole different way. He accepted them right where they are, and he still does that today. No matter what your lifestyle is, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, he accepts you right where you are. But then because you choose to follow him, you can change. You can have a new life. The things that you, that you were involved with that may be bad, all of a sudden you've got the strength to leave those things behind, whether it's addictions or a lifestyle or whatever it is, you can get the strength to leave that behind. Many times I've talked to people and they'll say, well, as soon as I get things figured out in my life, as soon as I get some of these either emotional or, 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 or relational things out, fixed in my life, in or out of my life, then I'm going to look really serious. I'm going to look really seriously at at giving my life to Christ and beginning to follow Him. But if that's you, you need to know the, the fact really is if you could make your life better, wouldn't you have already done it by now? If you could leave those things behind all on your own, wouldn't you have already done it by now? See, stepping into a relationship with Christ is what gives you the strength to leave those things. Well, welcome to the last week of a series called Losing My Religion. And I've been talking about how we can lose our religion and find life. Lose our religion and find freedom. Lose our religion and find a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ. See, all religions are basically the same. They teach you how to get what you want or how to not get what you don't want. This whole series over the last four weeks was inspired by a book I read called The End of Religion by Bruxy Cavey. You can pick it up out at the info booth. It's an awesome book. If you want to get a little deeper into everything that, that I've been talking about, get that book and read it. It's awesome. The definition of religion is this. Any reliance on systems or institutions, rules or rituals as our conduit to God. Over the last few weeks, we found, we found that religion overpromises and underdelivers. That religion creates consumers instead of participators. That religion creates guilt because no matter how much you do, you feel like you don't measure up. That's not what Jesus Christ called humans into. In fact, all of that keeps him out of the place where he really wants to live, and that's in your heart. Religion says, do this and you'll get acceptance. Relationship says, it's not about achieving, it's about experiencing. You know, I, 
I don't do nice things for my wife. Well, I guess depending on the day. You know, I have different motives. You know, someday I'm nice for this reason. Someday I'm nice for that reason. But I don't do nice things in order to achieve marriage because we're already married. I don't do nice things to earn her love. I do nice things to show my love. This whole series has been based on a book in the New Testament called Colossians. And there's some Bibles coming down and up the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. We'll give you one. It's yours to keep. Or if you need to borrow one for the day, that's fine too. Um, Just take one and read along uh, or look on the screen as I read from this book called Colossians. This book called Colossians was written to a group of people in a town in the Roman Empire called Colossae. And the town of Colossae would have been kind of littered with different philosophies of life, different religions. And although these people in this church had accepted Christ, they were also beginning to look to other things for fulfillment, saying we have Christ, but there's also some other things. And then religious leaders begin to say, okay, you've got Jesus, that's fine, but here are some other things that you need to begin to do, whether it was within Christianity or whether it was outside of Jesus, if, if it was some pagan religion or some other philosophy of life, they were beginning to look at those things. And this whole book is the Apostle Paul writing to them, saying that Jesus is over all those things. All the things you think are bringing meaning into your life, he's over all of those things. And he says this in Colossians chapter 1. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's saying to these people who are beginning to trust in religion that There is something, someone over all of that. Jesus created everything that you see. He's over everything. Get rid of the religion. You don't need it. Don't let people burden you down with things you were never meant to carry. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, it's like religion is like taking a thirsty person, a cup of water, and they they just begin to lick the outside. Not only would that be really gross, I mean, if somebody started to do that, it would gross me out. They would never get their thirst quenched. And when you go through life focusing on religion, or maybe in your past you've focused on religion, you never get past licking the cup to the substance of what can change your life. See, I haven't been talking about faith. Faith and religion are two different things. Now, the Apostle Paul has convinced this church to stop focusing on the outside and get to the substance of their faith, which was a person. And he's saying, now that religion has been removed from your life, you can follow a person, not a system. When you do that, the form is replaced by the substance. And now this person I'm following, Jesus Christ, will be reflected in my life. If you have kids, you know that sometimes you can watch them and they'll start to do things like you, right? And, you know, if your family's like mine, when it's bad things, they're doing it like dad, you know. 
Whether she's acting or he's acting just like you. If it's good things, you know, they're acting like me, of course. But all of our children reflect a little bit of us in them. And if you're a Christ follower, your, your responsibility is to reflect his attitude, his spirit into the world. So this 2,000-year-old letter ends to, to this church ends with telling us that our actions, that our attitudes, that our conversations impact other people. Other people who may not yet have made a decision that they want to follow Christ. So the way I act towards the cashier, who is a real, um, not a nice person, uh, being rude to me, or the way I act to the person in traffic who cuts me off, and I want to like, okay, number one, buddy, you know, I want, you know that's coming into my mind. I've got to think through. Am I really reflecting what a Christ follower is supposed to reflect? Not even to mention what a pastor is supposed to do. So, you know, I have to, have to dismiss that. I have to think, okay, am I making the most of this opportunity? Am I reflecting the attitude, the heart of Christ? Because that's what the end of this letter is telling them to do. And it's also telling us that our attitudes, our actions, our talk, all reflect what's inside of our hearts. And all reflect on, if you are a Christ follower, reflect on people who aren't. Maybe your idea of a Christ follower is like the guy on the screen. That was mine for a very, very long time. Until somebody who truly had the attitude of Christ, their life intersected with mine. It's never been the same since. Here's what the Apostle Paul ends by telling this group of people. In Colossians chapter 4, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his plan concerning Christ. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. What he's saying is that this message of relationship over religion is not just for them. It's for everybody. And he's saying, I plan on telling other people about this, and you should too. So it's just assumed those of us who follow Christ are going to live our lives around people who haven't yet decided to do that for whatever reason. And it's also assumed that We're going to live our lives in front of those people in a way that's going to be an invitation into a relationship. Every time, every time I can share about my interaction with Christ, even my failures, my sin, the times when I, even when I, when I can share that, it's potential for someone else's life to be changed. Make the most of every opportunity. Because if you're a Christ follower, unless you're living on a commune somewhere, you interact with people who haven't made that decision yet and may have this really distorted view of who Jesus is and how he acts. In fact, if you are a Christ follower, you're here because somebody got serious about it. Somebody got serious about 
making the most of an opportunity. Maybe it was somebody got serious and, and sent you know, a bunch of mailers to your house and wouldn't leave you alone until you came to church. Maybe you saw a sign. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe, maybe you overheard a conversation, but you're here if you're a Christ follower because somebody got serious about it. So now that you're no longer religious, the Apostle Paul says, enjoy it. Live it and bring others in on it. And these people took it very seriously. They didn't just say, oh, yeah, okay, and like when I'm working, you know, just kind of be around somebody, just be nice. I'll just be nice. You know, people who follow Christ don't have a corner on niceness. There are, everybody can be nice. He's saying take it a step further and invite people in on a journey. And these people did it. In the book, The Forgotten Ways, author Alan Hurst talks about the first century church, the second century church, the, the early church and how it grew at a dramatic rate. In fact, in the year 100, around the time this letter would have been written, there were about 25,000 people who followed Christ. Scholars know that through secular history, through other writings, through biblical writing. The estimate is about 25,000 people around the year 100 said, I follow Christ. Fast forward 200 and 10 years, and there were 20 million followers of Christ. When better records were kept, and it was a lot easier to tell, wow, there's a lot of people who've been invited in, invited in on this relationship. If you know anything about history, you're probably thinking, well, of course, Constantine made everybody become a Christian or get the sword through the throat. Who wouldn't then, you know? Jesus or the sword? How about Jesus? You know, I haven't considered that before now, but all of a sudden, he seems very interesting to me. This was before. This was before all of that happened, before they were forced. So how did they do it? How did they get that many more people to buy in or to accept this relation? It wasn't religion. Religion sure didn't get people there. Religion had been around for centuries before that. So it wasn't because of that. And this church in this town of Colossae would have been a part of it. And it's interesting that they grew so fast when Christianity was either illegal or at best tolerated. When they didn't have buildings, they didn't have huge video screens, they didn't have really cool microphones, they didn't have Starbucks coffee and Panera pastries and a nice soft seat with a cup holder in it. They didn't have all that stuff and still, somehow, they grew exponentially. And here's how they did it. They did it by listening to the Apostle Paul's advice and they lived among people who needed Christ's message, inviting them in on it in a non-intimidating way. Of course, not like you saw on the video. They lived one life touching one life. If I stop and I think about all the people in the world who don't know Christ, all the people who haven't got to experience what I've experienced, it's overwhelming to think how in the world, how in the world will we ever let those people know? But take it down from there and think, is there one person in my life that I can touch, that I can make a difference, that, that you know, I'm not going to do what the guy did on the video. I'm, I'm going to just invite them in a non-intimidating way on what I've experienced, just that one life. For, for about 12 years, I served in ministry by working on college campuses, teaching college students about Christ and helping them get into full-time ministry and and 
It was an amazing thing to watch one life touch one life, one life touch one life. And, you know, college kids, they'll try just about anything. And I was about that age myself, too. So we were just trying everything to invite other people in. So one day we decided, Louisiana State University, we're going to play volleyball in the middle of these huge parade grounds, beautiful parade grounds that they have with all these big oaks, uh, hundreds of year old oaks around the side. And we're playing volleyball one day, and here's this guy sitting under a tree reading, and you know, 10 or 12 students are playing volleyball, and this girl peels off. She goes over, and she starts to talk to this one guy that's over there, one life, talking to one life. She invites him over, and he begins to play volleyball with us. Turns out the guy's name is Abram Medea Hay from South Africa. He had worked for Nelson Mandela. I mean, he's like a pretty important guy. He was doing the top cancer research in the country at that time at Louisiana State, and we got to know him, and, and I got a chance to answer a lot of questions he had about Christ, about Christianity, about America. And one night I was sitting in his apartment, we were having one of those discussions, and he said, he said, you have to, you'll have to forgive me, I'm very uncomfortable. I said, why are you uncomfortable? He said, I've never had a white person in my house before. First time in my life. In fact, I was told never to have a white person in my house. And if I did, not to trust them. And he said, I'm just trying to work through some things that, that I've been taught my whole life. Well, Abram, through that one invitation, that one time, not being beaten over the head, not being told turn or burn, not be saying, here's some fire insurance, you better sign up for it because, you know, buddy, it's, it's not going to be a fun thing for you. None of that was ever said to him, but he became a Christ follower. I don't even know where he is today, but I bet he's still a Christ follower inviting other people in on the journey. If you read the life of Jesus and his disciples in the first four books of the New Testament, you see them interacting with people. And one day Jesus Christ was on this walk and he got thirsty and he went up to this well and he started to talk to this woman that he wasn't even supposed to talk to. He was breaking a huge religious rule. But Jesus looked at religion and was like, no religion. I don't want religion. I want a relationship with this person, with that person. So Jesus is talking to this woman at a well. He begins to, to tell her more about her life than she knew herself. And the interaction between them is recorded in John chapter 4 in the New Testament. And, and Jesus is talking to her and she finally says, you're the Messiah. And she figures out, this is Jesus. This is the guy that's supposed to come and forgive all of our past, all of our sins, and give us the strength to live a better life. And she finds that out. And listen what she does in, in verse 29 of John chapter 4. She said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. This is back at her hometown. And they, the townspeople, came out of the town and made their way toward him. No religion, no formulas, no, no turn or burn talk, just simple invitation into what she had experienced. Just like saying, you got to go see that movie. You, you got to get a Mac computer if you want your life to be complete. It's just, she was going back to her town saying, you got to get in on this. You got to come meet this guy who told me everything I ever did. And in verse 39 of that same book and chapter, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And that's how the early church grew. One person touching one life, inviting them in, saying, You've got to hear this message. You've got to get this in your life. What if a church did that today? What would the world look like? I know these walls wouldn't be big enough. But I would like to just see what would happen if every person in this room that says, I follow Christ, took the challenge I'm about to give you today and wrote on the back of that card or the front, wherever you can write, you wrote a name down and you said, this is the one life I'm going to devote the next year to inviting in on this journey. 
in a, I'm not just going to be a, a spectator. I'm going to participate actively by inviting other people in on what I've found in a non-intimidating way. So my challenge at the end of this series is the same as the Apostle Paul's challenge was to this church. Touch somebody's life. Make a difference. So take out that card, that piece of paper that, that you may have been taking notes on and just write that name down or think of that name because one life does make a difference. About the second or third week of our church here in Wakefield, since we'd started on, on February the 24th, a few weeks into that, I got this email, and here's what he said. I've been to several different churches in my life, and I can honestly say that the experience I had this morning at the 9 a.m. service was incredible. I was there. We arrived early. We were greeted with open arms and were asked to pray uh, with everyone before the service even started. Yay to our greeters. If you're a greeter, you made a difference that day. It's a new experience for me. I was comfortable being there with nothing to prove in my dress or who I am as a person. Amen. The service started, and I was immediately overwhelmed with emotion. That's only happened once in my 35 years, and that was when my daughter was born almost four years ago. I'm not a sensitive man by any means. I have several tattoos. I have a Harley, and I work on cars. I can count the tears I've shed in my life on one hand. I spent the entire time there emotional and wanting to hear more. At no point did I ever feel like I was being talked down to or the beliefs I have are wrong. I was happy to be there and actually thought about staying for the 1030 service, but I had somewhere I had to be. I'm disappointed that I've got to miss next Sunday, but I'll be there the next week. Thank you again for restoring my faith in church. And he's still here. And I asked him if I could read this today. One life at a time, however you can touch it, that's how the world is changed. And that's how the world can be free of religion. One Christ follower touching one life at a time. Every person can do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for the time we've had to look at this book that was written 2,000 years ago and see how it applies to our life. God, may we release religion, release the things in our life that, that we try to replace that relationship with you. God, may we be challenged to touch other people. Father, for the person or the people here who have not ever made that decision to follow you, I pray today helps them take one step closer so they too can invite other people in on the journey and touch one life. Father, let that phrase ring in our heads this week, one life at a time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.